following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. There is one Christian doctrine that is absolutely foundational vital to our understanding of the gospel, of the person and the work of Jesus. There is a a Christian doctrine that is just foundational for us to understand. And I would guess, I I would guess that many of us have heard something like this, that, uh, pastor, you know, doctrine divides. You know, I, I don't get into all that doctrine stuff. I just stick with the with the simple stuff. I don't get bogged down with all the doctrine. I stick with the simple, you know, grace and love and Jesus. And I stick with things like that. Well, hear me today. The doctrine that I'm talking about is not like that. It does not divide. This doctrine unites because all Christians everywhere in all time are united together by this doctrine. And more foundational than that is that this doctrine is is foundational for us to understand the simple things. In other words, this doctrine helps us to see and understand grace and love and, and who Jesus is. This doctrine is foundational for that. And without this doctrine, Christianity, and I, and I mean this, falls apart falls apart. So right up front, I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about one of those second or third tier um, issues here. This morning, we're looking at a first tier central issue. We are looking at one of those die on the hill doctrines uh, this morning together. So enough with the buildup. The doctrine I'm talking about is the doctrine of total depravity. The doctrine of total depravity. Uh, See, total depravity is the biblical understanding that we are sinners by, by nature and by choice. This has sometimes been called original sin. Um, the word total here, total depravity means complete. It means utter. It means, it means church that we're not good people who occasionally do bad things. That's not what the Bible says about us. Um, In fact, we are sinners. We are sinners depraved in need of the grace of God. It was R.C. Sproul who famously said, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's good. The, the Christian understanding, the biblical understanding of ourselves and of our world is not that we're basically good, that we're basically good, that, that everyone is good or can be good on the inside and that evil is something that happens out there to us. That's not what the Bible says about you. Instead, the Bible, the biblical understanding of our world and of ourselves is that we are fallen people born in sin. That we are not 
good or pure, that we cannot be good and pure, that evil is not just something that happens out there to us, but that it springs up from within our own hearts. And you hear that and you think, well, wow, pastor, that is a super negative outlook of life. How depressing downer is that? Um, uh, Listen, I hope that through our time this morning, And I mean this, through our time this morning, that we will see together that understanding the doctrine of total depravity is the gateway to true Christian joy. And I mean that, and we're going to unpack that here. More than that, um, I want us to see as we look at at our text this morning is that this is not one of those hard to see doctrine. In fact, Paul is going to lay this out in in Romans 3. He's going to lay this out and immerse us into this doctrine. So if you have your Bibles with you right now, I want to invite you, turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 9. And while you're getting there, if you remember last week, um, we, we talked about the, the, the simple and profound truth that you and I, that we cannot justify ourselves before our God. We can only be justified by our God through Jesus Christ. That's what we looked at last week. This, this week in this text, Paul is going to just drive this point home even deeper. So look with me at verse... 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Paul says here, are you any better off than them? Are they any better off than you? Is that group over there any better off? Absolutely not. Paul says. And why? Why is that? Well, because we are all on the same level. We're all on the same level. Now, although this is a bit morbid, I, I, I admit that, I, I really love the, the analogy, the example that Paul uses of death. Of death. If you remember in, in Ephesians, Paul says, and you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul here describes our condition apart from Jesus as death. And I love this example because it captures it so well. So if you think about our text, Paul says, are are we, are are the Jews any better off? And, and, And Paul says, of course not. Why? Church, because dead is dead. Dead is dead. A dead thing cannot boast to another dead thing that that it is somehow less dead than that dead thing. Does that make sense? Dead is dead. Uh, You cannot be more or less dead. You are dead. We are dead. So are the Jews any better off? Of course not, because dead is dead. Dead is dead. We together, all of us, apart from Christ... Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. 
dead under our sin. And I love what Paul does here because he's going to build on this argument. He's going to appeal, church, he's going to appeal straight back to Scripture. He's going to appeal straight back to Scripture. And in verse Starting here in verse in verse 10, we have nine straight verses, church. Nine verses in a row where Paul is going to quote scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And I love this. I think it does three things, really. Uh, number one, I think what this does is it shows us that this is not a new thing. This is not a new thing. This is a, and this has always been true thing. Here. The second thing I think that this does is Paul speaks directly to the Jews, speaks directly to them. And, and in some ways, these, these Jewish people were seeking to kind of hide behind, if you will, their, their Jewishness, in a sense. And, and But Paul says, no, 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 you can't do this because your scriptures themselves are proclaiming this truth. The third thing this does is I think it just shows us how incredible, church, God's word is. That this is written over the span of thousands of years by numerous authors, numerous languages, different cultures. And yet this, in, in God's providence and sovereignty, gives us a united teaching and understanding of who God is and who we are in the plan that God has set in place. That is beautiful. He's spoken to us and here Paul just plums the depths of that. He just plums the depths of it. Oh, to know scripture more that like Paul, that we would just be able to pull it together and to teach. I love it. I, I love, I love this text. And so, so here's what, what Paul does here in verse 10. I want us to I want us to just look at, at this together. Verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. This here is from Paul quotes the Psalms here, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. And Psalm 53, 1 through 3. Then he continues, verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. This again from the Psalms, from Psalm 5, 9. He continues and he says, The venom of asps is under their lips. This from a later Psalm, Psalm 143, 3. He continues, verse 14, continuing with the tongue, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. This from Psalm one or Psalm 10, verse 7. Now Paul puts a couple references together here as he continues. He says, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. This from Proverbs 1, 16 and Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. Then lastly, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And here, this last quote here coming from Psalms again, from Psalm 36, verse 1. Church, what Paul just set before us is the doctrine of total depravity. He sets this before us. He says, no, no one is righteous. No, not one. Not one does good. Not one seeks God. Not one understands. 
They all turn aside. They, they, they not, they've all become worthless, he says. Through our words, through our deeds, through our tongue, through our heart, through our actions, there's not one who is good. This is total depravity. And, and, and this is an all-time forever truth, meaning it was true thousands of years ago. It was true for this church in ancient Rome. And church, it's, it's true for you and for me, meaning you are not the exception. You're not the exception to the rule. See, total depravity shows no prejudice, no partiality, no respecter of persons. In other words, as you look at all of these pronouns here, all of the theirs, you're going to see it throughout. As you see all the theirs, don't think for a minute that this is a them out there thing or a they problem out there. When you see the theirs, it's a reference directly back to verse 10 with the word all. All, meaning you're included. So when you see the theirs, this is not a reference to them. It's a reference to you. It's a reference to me. Are you depressed yet? I hope you're not. Hang with me. Hang with me because I'm going to say this again. The understanding of total depravity is the gateway to true Christian joy. To true Christian joy. Um, so to say it differently, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, and in this moment you are confronted with your own sin and failure, if that's you, I believe and I believe scripture teaches that you are at the gate. You are at the gate to the most profound and true Christian joy in Jesus. So after quoting this, this scripture, Paul now concludes with this. Listen to this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. All the world will be held accountable to God. He is the righteous judge, the only one worthy to judge. The whole world is held accountable. And then he says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's God's sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Take that in. Take that in. Because this is exactly what we began to see last week. He says that, that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Meaning you cannot justify yourself before your God. It is impossible. More than that. More than that. Not only can we not justify ourselves before our God. The only thing it does when we try to justify ourselves before our God is further condemn ourselves. Because Paul says, since through the law, there comes a knowledge of sin. There comes this knowledge of sin. So in, in other words, it just increases the knowledge that we have of our own sinfulness. So if we take this in, it means that Paul is saying the more that you study, the more that you know, the more that you practice the law, the more you are confronted with your own sin, the more you are confronted with your own inability to keep the law. <sighs> Whew. Church, this is 
massive. It's like the law only illuminates our own need for our Savior. In church, that is exactly what the law does. In our context today, the more you study, the more you follow Jesus, the more you grasp the gospel church, the more you realize your own sin, the more you realize your own need for Jesus. In other words, the more you understand the gospel, the more you think less of yourself and more of Christ. The study of the gospel is to, by default, will will drive us to, to share in the words of John the Baptist when he says he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. How can it be that total depravity is the gateway to true Christian joy? How can that be? Well, church, it's because the doctrine of total depravity strips us away from ourselves. Of the false gospels that we preach to ourselves, of the false hope that we place in ourselves. It strips it all away and it causes us to decrease so that Christ may increase. This is huge. So that the true hope and the peace of Christ increases in us as Christ increases. Church, when you experience that, when Christ increases in you, that is joy. That is incredible, indescribable joy. In other words, what an exchange that is. You decrease while he increases. You decrease. And when you're left with less of yourself and more of Christ, you experience the joy of Christ. What an exchange that is. Now, I know that in a world of self, in a world that that promotes self-esteem, um, self-interest, self-improvement, uh, self-promotion, self-protection, self-realization, self-confidence, self-building, self, self, self. In a world that promotes and preaches self, I know that what I'm saying, and I know that the doctrine of total depravity just just is is countercultural in a world that tells you that it's about you trust you that you are awesome that you are the sinner the doctrine of total depravity is completely countercultural but can we be honest here it's also a bit refreshing isn't it it's also a bit refreshing you're not the sinner it's not all about you and you're not the only one who doesn't have it all together (laughs) you're not the only one in other words scripture tells you what you already know about you that you don't just need jesus to kind of step in and help you to help you go from good to better or to help you go from awesome to even more awesome for Jesus. That's not what you need, and that's not what the Bible tells you Jesus does. What you need is a Savior. 
What you need is Jesus to step in and to heal you, to forgive you, to redeem you, to restore you, to bring you from death to life. That is what we need. Because of this, um, listen, there are four things. There are four things that I would like for us to see here. The first is this. The doctrine of total depravity is refreshing. This message is refreshing. Why is that? It's because you can drop the charade. You can drop the charade. You cannot justify yourself. You cannot be good enough. You cannot justify yourself before your God. So instead of trying, we're called to confession and repentance. Instead of the charade, we're called to Christ. This church is refreshing. That we can know God because of the great love with which he loved us, sent his son Jesus, who willingly came to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserve, and then to give you everything. Life, love, peace, joy, resurrection gives you everything. You are justified by your God through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. But we're not able to see that, are we? We're not able to see that if we are unwilling to drop our pride and to put down our own attempts at justifying ourselves. Paul says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. It's not surprising, church, that Paul would start here. See, Romans, what it is, is is just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is building this beautiful and rich theology with Christ being the center. Paul is building this up. There's no wonder he starts right here with total depravity because this is foundational. This is foundational. And through this, when we see this, we can start to see the beauty and wonder of the gospel. Listen, Christ is everything. So you don't have to be. Christ is everything. So you don't have to be. You can drop the act. You can drop the charade and instead just come in honesty and repentance. This message is refreshing. It's tiring to play charades all the time. This message is refreshing. The second thing I want us to see here is also that the doctrine of total depravity is assuring assuring. Paul says this repeatedly in scripture, but because of our total depravity, we have an incredible insurance that the good that we see in us is in fact Christ in us. Oh, what assurance. Paul later in Romans, uh, in in chapter 7 of Romans, he's going to say, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How relatable is that, church? 
Yet, 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 he's going to continue to say in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at this with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. And because of that, let's just finish this thought and let's let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 28 through, through 31. Paul says this, God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, church, the good that is in you and the good that is in us, the righteousness, the fruit that is in us, is not us. It is Jesus Christ in us. Our boast is in Christ and in Christ alone. And in that church, we have an incredible assurance of his work. In other words, you get a front row seat to the work of Jesus in your life. And the good that you see, the good that you see is an assurance that God is in fact at work in you. As, as he works, your assurance grows. You're his child and you are being sanctified by him. Let me give you a common example of this, just, just real quick. Um, one of the most beautiful cases, I, I believe, one of the most beautiful cases for your own assurance that you are his, one of the most beautiful cases for this is brokenness over your own sin. As a pastor, um, I have talked with many who, who lament the fact that, that they do not have the power over sin that they wish they had in their own lives. And they're broken for this. They're broken over sin. And many of us, I know, we can relate to this feeling. Uh, but there's brokenness. But church, even in that brokenness, even in that brokenness, there is such a sweet sweet assurance. Brokenness over sin is a distinguishing trait of a child of God. And here, what I'm, what I'm trying to get us all to see here is church, the good in you, the righteousness, the brokenness over sin, the fruit of in you, the wisdom in you. It is not you, but Christ in you. And when you see Christ in you, oh, what an assurance that is. Oh, what an assurance that is. Last week, we learned a new song called Yet Not I. And in the third verse, I just want to read this. It's just so beautiful. It says, no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future, sure, the price, it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. 
Church, that's assurance. The future is, sure, is secure because of Christ in me. Chains are broken. That is Christ in me. Church, if your salvation was up to you, about you, if you helped in it, then there is absolutely no ground for assurance. If you could earn it, you can lose it. But church, that's not what the Bible says. Instead, if, if we understand the biblical teaching of total depravity, the fact that you cannot save yourself, you can't even assist in the saving of yourself, then you can rest in Christ. Then you can rest in Christ that he saved you and that he will keep you. And all the good, any good that we see in us, we're not saved by it. But oh, does it offer to us a sweet assurance that we are in fact saved by the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is assurance. So the doctrine of total depravity, it is refreshing. It is assuring. And third, the doctrine of total depravity is joy. Joy. Understanding total depravity is the gateway to true Christian joy because understanding the doctrine of total depravity is the gateway to seeing and to understanding Christ and Christ is joy. Christ is joy. It is, it is interesting. It is interesting. At least I think it's interesting that we are among the, the people most obsessed with happiness. We as Americans, um, we're driven to find it, we pursue it, we chase it, we organize our life around it, we give ourselves to find it and get more of it. But yet, the more we chase it, the less we seem to find it. The more we focus on it, the less happy we become. And why? Why is that? Why is that, church? It's because we're made for so much more than that. We're made for so much more than that. See, total depravity helps us understand that true and lasting joy, true and lasting joy is not found in us or our ability to get it. It's not found there. Total depravity reveals our indescribable need for Christ and it drives us. It drives us, church, to Jesus. It drives us to call out to him. It, and in this, in this, here's what we realize. Here's what we realize. We find that joy is not just this thing out there. It's not just this abstract idea. What we find in this is that joy is Christ. That Christ is joy. That Jesus is not the means to joy. That Jesus is joy. And when we are driven to our knees... When we are driven to our knees, when we put aside our self-reliance and instead we see Christ, we find true joy. We find true joy. See, understanding total depravity is the gateway to true Christian joy because understanding total depravity is the gateway to seeing and understanding Christ, who he is and what he has done. And Christ is joy. So, so far, doctrine of total depravity is refreshing, it's assuring, 
It's joy. And lastly, the doctrine of total depravity is humbling. It's humbling. The Bible says, uh, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor, for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. See, the kingdom of God is not for the good people who earn it. That's not what the Bible says. It's not those for earn, who earn it. It's not those who are awesome, the awesome people becoming more awesome for Jesus. No, that's not what the Bible says. Church, the kingdom of God is for those who understand total depravity. Who understand that it is not that we are good, but that He is good. Who understand this. This is the gospel and this is why this doctrine is so foundational. So foundational. An understanding of our own total depravity will serve to absolutely dismantle our pride. It will. It will humble us. And in doing that, scripture then tells us that it is the humble who God exalts for his own glory. When we are empty of our own self-righteousness, when we are empty of that, we are able to then walk in the joy of Christ and the joy of Christ's righteousness on our behalf. See, this is refreshing. This is, is assuring. This is joy. This is humbling. Church, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. I hope, I hope, that you this morning are drawn to Christ, drawn to confession and repentance, that and in that, that you are refreshed and that you are assured in Christ and that the joy of the Lord fills your life and your heart. Hear me. You are not good. He is good. Let's pray. Jesus, it is about your grace. It is all about your grace that you would save a wretch like me. Refresh us in the gospel this morning. Assure us in the gospel. Humble us and bring us joy in the gospel. Lord, would you show us, yet not I, but Christ in me.